Hey, good girls. I hope you're having a great day today. Thank you so much for tuning in for my third episode now. You guys have no idea how much I appreciate and just love you. I have well over 400 listeners engaging with my podcast, and I'm super happy. It's motivation for me to just keep providing you guys with content because that means you guys are genuinely interested in my experience and what I have to say. So I talked to you guys about my results and my interaction with intermittent fasting, but if you were to boil it all down, you're basically listening to me talk about not eating. Crazy, right? I know. So just thank you, thank you, thank you again. Keep listening, keep sharing, and keep the comments coming. Over here at Good Girl Gone OMAD, we're all about doing the minimum. In a world that's constantly pressuring us to do more, be more, take on more, share more, and eat more, I honestly think that intermittent fasting is just one of the few methods in the world that encourages us to stop. Like seriously, just slow the hell down and just be mindful about what you're doing. If you're new to my podcast, definitely check out my previous episodes where I share more about myself and about incorporating intermittent fasting into your lifestyle. Okay, on to the episode. So by now, I hope you've seen my pictures that I've shared on my Instagram page on Tuesdays because that's Transformation Tuesday. That's such a good day of the week, by the way. And many, many of you are so gracious to take the time to send me notes about how inspiring my story is, but it's a few of you guys out there that are sneak dissing in my comments or sending me messages. So I've gotten a couple of messages in response to these photos from followers or lurkers that say things like, well, of course you're losing weight doing intermittent fasting because you aren't eating any calories. I take that to mean that the only reason that I'm able to lose weight and post pictures on Transformation Tuesday is because I'm not eating any calories. But let's be real here. Just because you restrict your body from calories doesn't mean that you'll lose the weight. It's not that cut and dry. Give your body a little bit more credit than that. Like seriously, give God the credit that he deserves for creating such a dynamic, intelligent being. There are 7 billion people on this earth and they still call doctors practitioners. Studying the human body is simply a practice, not an exact science because the body is just so magical. They can't even figure out exactly how you're supposed to lose weight. So if it was so simple as to just not eat calories, I think everyone in the world would be doing this and no one would be complaining and the fitness section in your local bookstore or Target wouldn't be eight feet, 12 feet, 15 feet long. So I'm not slighted by these comments. I'm more so motivated to share the knowledge that I have so that you know for yourself 
that what we're doing here is not just calorie restriction. I want to use this episode to dispel this myth that we're only losing calories. Sorry, no, we're only losing weight because we're not eating calories. Today, we're going to dive deeper into what the heck is going on in your body during intermittent fasting? Why does it work? How does it work? We know that losing body fat is hard. Whether you want to lose 50 pounds or 10 pounds, it literally makes no difference. We can hypothesize that eating and drinking zero calorie snacks every day won't get you to your goal either. But for some reason, many of us continue to buy into this gospel that weight loss is about calories in versus calories out. We track our calories on our phone. We track our calories on our watches. As if at the end of the week, it'll be like, poof, magic body. When is enough going to be enough? So I'm going to share with you and break down the science on why intermittent fasting is not just about the lack of calories, but more about your body's mechanical composition. It goes way beyond the consumption of calories. It's fascinating. Stay tuned. So I'm, I just want to tell y'all right now that this is going to be a bit of a heady conversation. I'll be dropping some scientific bombs. So just allow me to geek out a little bit and maybe take you back to sixth, sixth grade biology because it's mind blowing how the body processes things. Don't worry, you'll be able to follow along. All of this information that I gathered is from months and months of research. I've mentioned before that I didn't start off knowing a lot about intermittent fasting. Matter of fact, the only thing I cared about in the beginning was the hours that I needed to eat and the hours that I didn't need to eat just so I could lose the weight. So a funny but rather embarrassing story and what led me into learning more about intermittent fasting than just like the surface stuff. Um, so honestly, it's to me, it's a very embarrassing story, but I want to be honest with y'all. So listen, I'm, I'm about two months into practicing intermittent fasting and I got an invite to go out to a party. I don't go out often, so I was super excited to kind of get dressed up and hang out and dance. Well, anybody that knows me <laughs> knows it takes me a good like five hours to get ready in order to go out. It's a lot of prep work. It's five hours, but I just have to do that, you know, before I go out. Like first, I got to get mentally prepared that I'm about to, you know, go out. Maybe I need a nap. Maybe I need to, you know, just meditate. <laughs> Then I have to do my hair. That's an hour. Then I got to do my makeup. That's borderline an hour. I got to find an outfit, shower, look like, you know, the things that us girls do to look good for ourselves. And typically somewhere in there, I pre-eat. I know I'm silly. I, I always have to eat something before I leave because you just never know. Like if you're going to get stuck in traffic or maybe you get there and the food is not as good as you want and you don't want to be starving. So I typically will factor in eating before I leave the house. So that's easily five hours. Maybe it's a little bit excessive, but that's just me. So I can't remember the exact time that this party started, but let's just say it started at nine, which means I needed to start getting ready at four. Well, 
nothing that evening went according to plan. Like nothing. And I didn't even start getting ready till about seven o'clock. So talk about speed. I'm at this point, I'm just rushing, trying to look halfway decent. I'm throwing on my makeup. I'm trying to do my hair at the same time. My daughter's, you know, clinging on to me. Mommy, don't leave. And then I just realized like I have to leave soon and I haven't eaten anything. Like literally I was fasting. I probably fasted through work or maybe grabbed a bite during a meeting. Like I really didn't feel like I ate enough to go out. So I didn't want to go out to the club hungry. So I just started stuffing handfuls of bread in my mouth, <laughs> like just stuffing my face with bread. And at this point I'm carved up and that sounds like a great idea, right? Like you hear eat tons of bread. It'll help soak up the alcohol. Uh, where do we get these ideas from that the bread is going to kind of, kind of help you or come in to save the day from maybe drinking too much? I don't know. But so in a previous life, I had a very high tolerance for alcohol. I mean, extremely high. So high, I'd make other people around me pretty nervous. I'd be fine, but they'd see me with, you know, one drink, two drinks, three drinks, and they'd be like, are, are you okay? <laughs> um, yeah, pretty high tolerance. And that's just kind of what I was used to. So fast forward, I made it to this party. And of course, there's drinks. I'm having a few drinks, nothing out of the norm for me. I'm having so much fun, laughing, dancing, cracking jokes. And everything felt all good until it was time to leave. I'm grabbing my coat. And a couple people were like, oh, we should go out to eat, get some food. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. And in that moment, I realized I'm drunk, like drunk in a way that I haven't been in a long time. I mean, I wasn't obnoxious or belligerent or loud or anything like that, but I just was not in control. Like I was not able to drive my car. <laughs> So food at this point sounded like a really good idea. So I'm just following one of, one of my friends that I knew. I get in the back seat and the embarrassing part of the story is not the alcohol. It's not the alcohol per se. The embarrassing part is I'm sitting in the back seat of somebody's car that I clearly don't even care for. Like, like they rubbed me the wrong way, not like an arch enemy, but they just, we don't really speak. I don't speak to her. She don't speak to me. And I'm just thinking like, how in the world did I get in this girl's car? And we get to the restaurant. I didn't even eat. I was asleep at the table. <laughs> um, and what made matters like really worse is I did not sober up throughout the course of that meal. I could not drive. So this girl drove me to my house, dropped me at the doorstep like a newborn baby, made sure I got in the house okay. Like y'all don't even understand how uh, interesting that was for me that night. And I'm, you know, I, I acknowledge, you know, real stuff. Like that was, you just have to be grateful and humble enough to know that this girl that I didn't care for, showed enough compassion 
to, to do something for me that a, I couldn't do for myself at that moment and B maybe somebody wouldn't have done it for me, you know, and they call themselves my friend. So the morning after I'm not even drunk, I just wake up and I just feel horrible because I'm like, I just can't, you know, I can't believe this. I can't believe I've, you know, got intoxicated enough that I thought it was a good idea to go out to eat at this restaurant with this girl that I don't talk to over the course of years, like crazy. And let me just say that you might know some people or you yourself drink like that all the time. I'm not trying to pass judgment at all. But personally, for me, getting drunk to a point where I can't drive my own car (laughs) is just a level of responsibility that is not something I choose to adopt. So after that happened, I started to research how your body processes alcohol, how your body processes food, because through process and elimination, I realized that the only thing that changed between me drinking that night and the other nights that I've had drinks and wasn't getting drunk was the fact that I was fasting beforehand. So I just wanted to learn like, okay, how does intermittent fasting even affect your metabolism? Uh, Does it even affect your ability to metabolize alcohol? And since then, I have not stopped learning. I'm actually very, very deep down a rabbit hole of biological information. So now the key takeaway here is, number one, I'm an official cheap date. (laughs) Like, I'm like a one drink, two drink maximum kind of girl. I don't need a whole bunch of frills or a strong drink at all. Um, But seriously, number two, Alcohol and fasting do not mix, period. And of course, your mileage may vary. The effects of fasting can vary depending on the method of fasting you're doing, your age, your overall health. So use this information in this episode as a guide and not the rule. So now let's jump into it. What happens in your body while you're fasting? Well, the very first sensation your body is going to go through when you decide this intermittent fasting lifestyle is hunger. There's no getting around that, but until you've successfully completed a fast, you probably think that hunger is simply a stomach pain that you feel when your stomach is running a little low on food but it's actually all hormonal. One of the benefits of intermittent fasting is that it's going to normalize your hunger levels. This is also known as the ghrelin hormone. It's the hormone that tells your brain you need to eat. You're definitely going to want this under control if your goal is to lose weight. The myth with fasting is that we're starving and hungry every day. In the beginning of fasting, these hunger pains that you might feel are normal because Your body loves exactly where it is right now. Your body doesn't want to change. It doesn't like drastic change. It just wants to maintain, which which is also known as homeostasis. So the initial days of fasting are going to be hard because 
your body is sensing that you are feeding it less and it will start to secrete the ghrelin in order to get you to eat. But as soon as you make fasting a part of your lifestyle, you'll stop feeling fake hunger and your body will actually let you know when you are really hungry and not just addicted to food. Have you actually ever sat down and thought about hunger as a concept? Yes, no, just me? Okay, I, I know I'm a little analytical like that, but hunger and the ghrelin hormone is your body's mechanism for gaining weight, right? It increases your appetite. If you didn't get hungry, you'd never eat. The body doesn't want to lose the weight that you're trying to shed, so it'll, it's going to find tricky ways to make sure that we aren't doing damage to ourselves. So we have these genius hormones that make us hungry. Now, I'm sure when God designed our beings, he didn't anticipate that we'd invent and get hungry for Doritos and Coke Zero. He's probably looking down on us right now like, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> but seriously, hunger is just as much as a survival strategy as eating, if you honestly think about it. When we eat, we store fat, and that's honestly starvation mode, not the other way around. I have to get that out there because, of course, we've all heard this, if you don't eat, your body's going to go into starvation mode. That absolutely does not happen in the context of short-term intermittent fasting. It's, in fact, the total opposite. So those days when you feel so hungry, like you just can't say no to food, that's that ghrelin hormone coming in to either save you from yourself or help you store fat just in case. Hormones are predominantly responsible for most of your digestive functions. They're like the FedEx for your cells. They deliver messages to and from cells to either tell them to stop or to start a function. Insulin is one of the primary hormones that is affected by intermittent fasting. So if you don't get anything else out of this podcast, cop a squat and listen to this and get this down in your spirit because this single hormone right here is crucial to our longevity. Insulin is a hormone that's made by the pancreas. And the reason you need it is because it lowers blood sugar. That's it. That's its only function. Its role was made to move about a teaspoon of sugar out of your body of blood. So your body has about a gallon of blood in it. And the insulin hormone is tasked with removing just a tiny teaspoon of sugar. But you know we are consuming more than a teaspoon of sugar, right? On average, we as a people are consuming 20 teaspoons of sugar a day. That's a whole lot of sugar moving through your system. So if your body is only supposed to handle a teaspoon of sugar that gets stored in your liver, then what happens when there's no room in the liver for the other 19 teaspoons of sugar? Your body has no choice but to dump that extra sugar you're eating into your body as fat, which typically shows up in belly fat. So insulin attaches to the cell by binding to the receptor on the cell surface. Just think about it like a lock, um, a key to a lock. And it opens a door for glucose or sugar to get inside. 
insulin is also known as our body storage hormone. So when you eat, insulin is raised and released. And that's when we store our glycogen and our fat. When you're not eating, your insulin goes down and you start using stored sugar for energy. It's pretty much that simple. So if you're thinking, when do we get to the fat burning part? That's a good question. This information is about to get you off that hamster wheel of weight loss. If you were like me, always working out and always feeling hungry, like if I was not constantly snacking, I'd be irritated because internally my sugar storage was running low, also known as hypoglycemia. And if you're always looking to refill your sugar storage because you feel kind of jittery or faint, um, and you refill your sugar storage by eating, you're never going to tap into your fat stores for energy. Like never, ever, ever, ever. So within the first couple of hours of your fasting window, your blood sugar and insulin levels begin to fall. And that's when the liver starts to break down glycogen into glucose for energy. Glucose is basically sugar. It's the primary source of energy for your body to burn. And by primary, I literally mean first. I want to be 100% clear that this does not mean preferred. I always hear, your body wants to burn sugar. No, it doesn't. Your body prefers to burn fat. It's the most efficient fuel for your body. It's the difference of saying you prefer to get your energy from a pack of Skittles versus a steak. No offense, Skittles, but Skittles are there for you. They're already packaged for you uh, versus a steak that needs to be seasoned, marinated, cooked. Of course, you're going to feel more content eating that steak. But why go through all that hassle to prepare the steak when you need energy like right now? And you can quickly grab that pack of Skittles. Get it? So it's the same idea. So the perception shouldn't be that your body prefers to burn sugar, but it will burn the most easily accessible and abundant source of energy, which is sugar. And let's just be honest. Our American diet has a lot of sugar in it. 66 pounds to be exact according to a study done by the USDA back in 2010. Like, oh my God, like remember I said that the average American consumes 20 teaspoons of sugar a day? Well, if one teaspoon equals four grams of sugar, which converts into 82 grams of sugar a day, which equates to 66 pounds of sugar a year per person. It's one of the easiest answers as to why we're sick and disease written. Anyway, that's an entirely different topic for a different day. So you're going to have to burn through your sugar stores before you can even get your body to burn your fat stores. Intermittent fasting is the most efficient way to do that. Sugar and carbs have a high glycemic index. That's basically a medical term for how food affects your blood sugar. Clearly, sugar and carbs are going to metabolize into sugar the fastest and cause your glucose to rise, therefore causing your insulin levels to rise. 
So because insulin is that storage hormone, if your insulin levels remain high, you're telling your body to store fat and sugar, period. Low levels of insulin tell your body to burn fat and sugar. Therefore, in order to burn fat, your insulin levels have to be balanced. I would say low, but they just have to be balanced. And the best way to do this is by fasting. With no energy from, from food coming in, your body is going to start to use stored energy, whether it's sugar, sugar first, but then fat. Ooh, that's a lot. I wanna make sure that you got that. So rewind and listen just one more time because insulin is so important. When it's high or resistant, you're not going to burn fat, period. Okay, let's move on. So you'll notice that you're also going to be able to think clearly when you're intermittent fasting. Once you get past obsessing about food, your mind is gonna be able to really think. Once you're well into your fasting rhythm, you can actually create more brain cells and improve your overall brain function. Now, I'm not saying you're gonna be the next Einstein, but fasting has been shown to increase the rate of neurogenesis in the brain. That's just another way of saying making new brain cells. The result of higher neurogenesis is high brain performance, memory, focus. Another super awesome result of intermittent fasting is the boost of production of brain-derived neurotropic factor. Don't worry about that long name. We're just gonna call it BDNF for short. This makes your brain more resilient to change and stress, and it stimulates new connections and synapses. So it's gonna help you decrease your anxiety and your response to stress. It's been shown that BDNF increases by 50 to 400% while intermittent fasting. I don't know about you, but I can use a 400% growth of new brain cells right now. <laughs> but seriously, this long-term effect could reduce your chances of Parkinson's disease. In addition to the fat loss and the neurological benefits, intermittent fasting has a huge anti-aging benefit called autophagy. And autophagy is just a fancy way of saying self-eating. That's the literal translation. So your body is going to start to detox itself. I'm not kidding. Like your cells are going to create membranes that go out and hunt for dead, disease, worn out, weak parts of other cells. And there's a little thing in your cells called a lysosome. And it acts like a recycler, right? And it uses these garbage parts from old worn out cells to make protein for energy in order to make entirely new cells. So let me just pause right there because I have to repeat this um, because it's just life changing some of these facts about intermittent fasting. Autophagy slows down the aging process. And I'm not talking about in a Hollywood Botox way, although your skin will definitely reap the benefits, I'm talking about stopping cancer growth and preventing neurological functions like Alzheimer's and hormonal functions like diabetes and helping your immune system, like shit that's actually important. Now, the only way 
that you're going to be able to get your body to eat itself <laughs> is if you put it under stress. Like fasting is one of the best ways to do that. So put down your kale drink, girls, and listen up real quick. For those of y'all that insist on drinking green drinks seven days a week is the only way to detox, no, you're wrong. All you're doing, in my belief, is you're drinking nutrient-rich blends minus the fiber and enzymes. So what goes into a green drink anyway? You might get two cups of kale, a whole lemon, some ginger, a cucumber, a couple apples, a couple pieces of celery. Like, I'm making this up, but have you ever stopped to think about like why you're able to down 16 ounces of some green juice concoction, but there's no way on God's green earth you'll be able to sit down in one sitting and be able to eat Two cups of kale, a whole lemon, a ginger, some cucumbers, some apples. Like, no, ew. Like, everybody is green juice crazy now. And I'm just like, why? Since when did we eat more veggies and equate more veggies into being more better for you? I'm not in the camp of more is always best. Sure, it's possible to get a bunch of fruit and vegetables, but what happens to your body when you extract the fiber and enzymes from that juice? Do you think you are actually absorbing these nutrients that you're getting? I, I know, I'm weird. I, I do think a lot, but I'm going to cover that in the next episode about detox and proper ways to get your body to, to naturally detox itself versus going without, um, without food plus nutrient-rich green drinks in another episode. But I want to get back to autophagy. Um, eating or ingesting anything within your body works against autophagy. It only works if your body is experiencing healthy stress. So obviously intermittent fasting is one, one way to introduce stress into the body, but working out is also a good stressor. And so you'll hear a lot of people that talk about intermittent fasting um, talk about HIT training or high intensity interval training because that is a good shock to your body in order to get it, um, in order to start the production of autophagy. So I'm willing to forego eating Krispy Kremes for breakfast if that means I'm fighting off like heart disease and I'm doing some anti aging for myself. Like adding time on the back end of my life is just so much more motivating to me than eating breakfast. So I like to think I saved the best for last, but it's certainly not the least. The effect of intermittent fasting on your body, um, the one thing that I just love and I continue to just research about is the increase of HDH in your body which is the human growth hormone. And as intimidating as it sounds, this is not the hormone responsible for making you look like a bodybuilder. <laughs> it's not that. It's essential for building and maintaining lean muscle mass. And it's responsible for helping your body burn fat and repair cells. It's basically the hormone of youth. As it 
regulates the body's composition and it promotes a healthy metabolism and increases skin elasticity, you want your HDH levels to skyrocket as much as possible. Insulin and HGH, they kind of work like a seesaw. So when your insulin level is high, your HGH levels are low. One of the best ways to tap into increasing your HGH levels are sleep. <laughs> this little secret sauce of mine was the reason I was able to lose four pounds in one week, no exercise, period. I couldn't believe, I, like, I could not believe it either. All I did that one week was go to sleep an hour, about an hour, hour and a half earlier than my normal time. And I was none the wiser. I just thought trying to get seven to eight hours was, you know, the best thing that I could do. But I just had a trying week. My daughter wasn't feeling too well. We had long days. And I look up on the scale and the scale is still moving down. And so some studies show that HGH production is up by 75% when you're sleeping. So sleeping for me and I hope to influence you, is so much more important than being in the gym for, most, for the most part. Because I know during that sleep, as, as many minutes or as many hours that I can get, I'm tapping into my fountain of youth. So the myth going around is that we are, uh, um, us intermittent fasters are obviously starving ourselves or we have some sort of eating disorder. Um, or actually the, fun, the funniest one is that we're training ourselves for the apocalypse. <laughs> um, you know, I just hear so many things that we're losing weight because we're eating less calories or maybe the weight loss isn't real because we're training our bodies to operate in survival mode. Like all of these crazy notions. And I hope you now know that that survival mode theory isn't true in the context of short-term intermittent fasting. But my response to that is, is that really a bad thing? There's a famous hip hop lyric that I love that says, a flower that grows in the ghetto knows more about survival than the one from Fresh Meadow. So how will you and your body ever know what it's capable of if you've never given it the environment to prove itself? You won't. There's no way around achieving a lot of these health benefits that we're all experiencing, except from actually doing the work, actually fasting. Intermittent fasting is not popular at the moment. And I'm sure the pharmaceutical giants are probably in their labs working tirelessly to come up with a pill that you can take that will mimic the effects that I discussed with you today without actually having to fast. But at what cost? So in this episode, I want you to take away that you have to decide what is right for you to maintain a healthy body and mind. And food or lack of food has a much greater impact on our health than what's shared as common knowledge. I also hope that you understand that it's possible for your brain to be overfed too, not just your belly. More importantly, know that Going without food has a bigger health benefit and is still being studied. Sometimes I sit back and I wonder, how did we arrive at eating so much? Is it learned hunger? Is it the, the desirability of food? 
I'll save my theory for another day, but the link between consumption and longevity is truly what needs to be understood, not just marketed to and repeated by doctors. So until next time, my good people, bye for now. Thank you all so much for hanging in there with me as I unpack how intermittent fasting works. This is one of my first episodes where I talk a lot more about the scientific background of why intermittent fasting is more than just not eating. It's also great to get your comments, so please let me know if you'd like to hear more episodes like this. I promise I'll try not to get too nerdy. I know when I started learning more about intermittent fasting, I wanted everybody I knew to just do it or at least try it. I don't want anybody to suffer from health, especially things that are preventative. Now, I'm not telling you to use scare tactics to convert your people, but perhaps if you just share this with them, um, they might give it a second thought and try to overcome that hunger so that they can reap the benefits long-term. I'm a believer in intermittent fasting, obviously, but I've seen what's possible. And I know that us as a culture and us as a society owe it to ourselves to take a step back from indulging more than, more than we are. Okay, last one, I promise. So I wanna give you guys a little bit of a hint as to what I'll be doing in my next episode. Um, I get so many questions and a lot of them are very similar from different followers and subscribers. And what I want to introduce to you guys is a more tactical um, daily application of intermittent fasting. So I want to introduce a mini episode for my next episode. So it's going to come and it probably won't be any more than like seven minutes long. Um, I'm going to tackle this notion of navigating your, your social world when doing intermittent fasting. I get this question so much. Um, I think it's because I have a lot more people that are involved in intermittent fasting. But, you know, if you're going 16, 20, 24 hours without eating, like you're looking for some advice on just how to navigate the world when everything around you revolves around food. This gets so tricky because you know, so often we're gathered with family, we're gathered with friends and foods involved. So I wanna help you so you feel comfortable around people and you don't make them feel uncomfortable, but you're still able to kind of enjoy yourself and maintain consistency with your intermittent, life, your intermittent fasting lifestyle. So check back for that really soon and I'll talk to you guys later, bye. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast